I hope you believe that from the bottom of your heart, how great is our God. If you have your copy of God's Word, I'd love for you to turn to Psalm chapter 4. I'm going to preach Psalm 4 this week and Psalms 5 next week and kind of using these as gap fillers between series because Psalms are kind of a good self-contained passage. Some of them are pretty long. I don't think I'll ever preach all of Psalm 119 at the same time, but um, 176 verses. Y'all might run out on me after that. But uh, God's sovereignty in all of life is something we sometimes kind of forget. We kind of take it for granted or we, or we just kind of are out of touch with it because of everything going on around us, the noise and, and, the, and the stuff that's going on. But we can remember as we sang, he is a great God. He is the great God because he's the only God. Psalms is a book of songs or a book of prayers at times to acknowledge God's mighty providence and sovereign reign and hand in the matters of humanity. It's just a, a book of worship in a sense. And we saw earlier this morning kind of some of the forms of worship can take. And it was compiled about uh, a thousand years, over a thousand years by multiple authors. Uh, David contributes a big chunk of them, Solomon, some of them, and there's others. Um, and it's broken into five books, kind of five individual books inside the book of Psalms. Um, and they kind of emulate the Pentateuch, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those five books are emulated by this. And so we're in book one here, obviously, because we're at the front of the Psalm, Psalms 4. Um, and Psalms 4 is a song or a prayer of lament um, and distress. David writes this as kind of an evening prayer, is what it got, eventually got adopted as for the Jews in their religion and their worship and their time with God every day. They use this kind of as an evening prayer. But it's, particularly, it's about a particular event, and we really don't know exactly what event. Some people think it was when Absalom tried to take over the throne. Some people think it's just another dark time. Maybe a drought was going on in the, in the nation of Israel at the time. There's really nothing clearly that gives us here, but um, I think we can focus on the kind of the principles behind what, the way he prays. So let me read the passage, and we'll kind of delve into it a little bit more. Psalms 4, for the choir director with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Answer me when I call, God, who vindicates me. You freed me from affliction. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. How long, exalted ones, will my honor be insulted? How long will you love what is worthless and pursue a lie? Know that the Lord has set apart the faithful for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. On your bed, reflect in your heart and be still. Offer sacrifices in righteousness and trust in the Lord. Many are asking, who can show us anything good? Let the light of your face shine upon us, Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and new wine abound. I will both lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, Lord, make me live in safety. Let's pray. Father, it is a great prayer that David has written for us. And may we, in our own hearts, take to heart what he ultimately says, that your divine hand is securing all of us who are your children. And we can pray from that position of strength, regardless of what's going on in our lives. 
Show us, Father, in your word to say, Spirit, illuminate the word to our, our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You know, many times in my Air Force career, I would be confronted with an opportunity to do something I wanted to do, and I would pray about it. And I would ask God, you know, for help and, and ask him for certain things to work out so we maybe could pursue that. But I always asked not knowing whether God wanted that for me or not. And about nine times out of ten, he didn't. <laughs> and so that's another story for another day as far as how my career went. But every time I prayed, there was always when I was sincerely, humbly letting God's will be done in my heart, there was always this thought that he's got my back. He's got me covered in wherever endeavor he takes me. And so uh, no matter what, he had me. And David, I think, is praying in this psalm from that position of strength, from that position of knowing God's got him. You know, he's praying over some difficult people and some difficult times going on, but he is very sure in this prayer, as you will see, that God's grace is covering him. God's grace is right there for him. And so whenever believers pray, whenever believers pray, those who trust Christ, it comes with the added security of God over us, his favor, his provisions, it comes with that. Whatever, <laughs> and this is the hard part for us, whatever the answer. So God, he gives us some guarantees. What guarantees does he give us and we see in this prayer? Well, he gives us three types of security for believers when they pray. And the first one is that we have a history with God. First, pray from your past. Pray from our past as believers in Christ. Verse 1, listen to what David says. Answer me when I call, God, who vindicates me. You freed me from affliction. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. See, David starts his prayer with kind of a confident call to God. I mean, it almost sounds like he's demanding, okay, God, answer me. But it's not that. It's really a deliberate coming to God, knowing I can, I can call him. Just like when you pick up your phone and you punch in numbers and dial, or maybe you just punch the person's face and it dials nowadays. But you deliberately call, and you know that more than likely they'll answer, or at least they'll get back with you. This is what David knew. He says, I know I can call on God. So it's a very deliberate act. Calling boldly to God is a privilege of the children of God. We can call out boldly to God, not demanding, not having selfish intent. We'll talk about that in a minute. But we can be bold in our prayers asking God because he's promised to rescue us, among other things. Your ultimate eternal safety and security rests in God. See, God is the one he calls on because there's history there. He is the God of righteousness who vindicated him. Only God Almighty can vindicate anyone, okay, for eternity's sake. Only this God can vindicate anybody. And David knew that. You know, he's not, this is no new theological thing he stumbled upon. And then he says, you freed me from affliction. That, that word can also mean he's like made a way or made space for him to escape from his adversaries to, or to avoid captivity. God did, this, God did this many times for David, especially when he was running from Saul, but in other times as well. The Philistines, and you can read about those stories and. First and second Samuel. God freed David. And why? Because God chose David. God chose David to be his child. And why are we free? Same reason. God chose us. God chose us to believe. God chooses all who believe. And faith is a gift of that grace from God so that we can believe. Forgiveness of our past 
and freedom for our future. That's what we have in Christ. Christ forgave us from eternal affliction. And that's what hell is all, all about. It's just eternal affliction, eternal pain. But faith in Jesus sets us free from the curse, from our human nature that desires to do what's wrong, desires to, to sin against God. Do you see yourself praying this way in verse 1? Do you see yourself using those words? If you don't, we can have a discussion about that after the service because that's the way a child of God can approach God. Those who trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior can approach God just like verse 1 says here. Do you see yourself using, have you used those words? Because God has vindicated you if you're a believer in Christ. You're free, and you're free to approach him. David appeals at the very end to the grace of God once more. And he says, be gracious. Why? Because of his past with God, God has already been gracious. Why not let him be gracious again and ask? So we can pray from our past. You know, children come to their mom many times and they ask for things. I mean, they, they'll walk past their dad to go ask their mom for a glass of water or a glass of milk or something. And, and it's like, why didn't you ask your dad? And it's like, because mom's always the one doing that stuff, usually. She's the one. Get, now, when they ask dad, it's usually going to get more expensive. You know, college, cars, those kind of things. But, but they, they know who to go ask because they have a history with that person. And that's the way we should be with God. God has given us so much, starting with forgiveness, stuff that we did not deserve. He's given to us. And we can go to him based on that. We can. We can go seek his face. John the Apostle, in a letter he wrote, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, he writes this. He says, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because the world did not know him. See, the world prays without hope. A lot of times they pray, and they're not, they don't have any hope of it being answered. They're just throwing out a prayer because, like they say, there's no atheists in foxholes. There's no Christians sometimes in them either. doesn't guarantee that everybody in a foxhole is a Christian. We pray from hope, hope in Christ. Because we have hope in Christ. So what history do you have with God? That's something we can always, need to always kind of contemplate as we're praying. What history do I have with God? Have you experienced his love through Christ? Are you praying with hope? David is. See, it is only by grace that anyone can pray to God. I mean, we can utter things we call prayers. We can use words that sound like prayers. But in, in sincere praise, it is only by grace that we can talk to God Almighty. And that grace comes only through Jesus Christ. And see, David's asking for pity and compassion from God. Which is only done when you have grace. You only can do that, truly do that, when you have experienced the grace of God. And when we pray, we're, we're admitting that we don't deserve this help. I mean, that's what prayer really should be. It's a, it's a, you don't have to wait till you get to the end of the rope, but you're saying, look, I can't fix this. Whatever, whatever's coming, I can't solve it. We ask for it because we're free to humbly present our request, our petition to God. We're free to do that as children of God. Now, sometimes, sometimes we pray with expectations, preconceived ideas, preconceived wants, you know, well, I've been good, so God should, should give me this, you know. <laughs> we must come empty of those, empty of demands. 
I mean, empty of the, the, the demanding, God, you got to do this. We need to quit presenting God with ultimatums. I hear people do that all the time. Well, if God will do this, then I'll believe in Jesus. That's an ultimatum, and God doesn't respond to ultimatums. He doesn't owe you anything. It's all of grace. We must come surrendering to his grace, not with preconceived ideas. Surrendering to his grace totally on whatever issue we're facing. We come knowing he hears, and we come knowing he will answer his way. (laughs) I always have to put that on there because some people have a preconceived idea of how God's answer should be. What should be coming out of this prayer? So I would plead with you this morning, come and, and open, be open to his provision only. Come and, and pray and wait. Whew, boy, we hate that word. That's a four-letter word for sure. Wait with patience and then wait some more. Keep praying and waiting and then wait some more. There's no such thing as I've waited long enough for God to answer. God answers in his timing, which he doesn't really own a wristwatch or a calendar. So it's in his way and it's for the best. So we can pray based on his wonderful history with us as believers in Christ and his provision of us, even beyond our forgiveness, and allow his grace to work for us. So prayer based on our history now leads us to see it means a prayer based on the promises he makes to us. And that's what these next verses are about. Pray from the promises. Here's here's David praying from the promises. Listen to these verses, two through six. How long, exalted ones, will my honor be insulted? How long will you love what is worthless and pursue a lie? Know that the Lord has set apart the faithful for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. On your bed, reflect in your heart and be still. Offer sacrifices in righteousness and trust in the Lord. Many are asking, who can show us anything good? Let the light of your face shine on us, Lord. There's a lot of promises in there. They're kind of implicit, kind of hidden. Some of them, some of them are very obvious. But, But David is relying on God's promises to face this challenge that these people are presenting against him. Whatever these exalted ones, some versions just use the word men or or sons of men. Um It's basically some people are trying to set themselves above David, the king. So David challenges them with these promises, and and they're exalting themselves. And so he challenges them with a promise. God has set him apart as king. God set me up here as king, not you, so stop trying to overrule me. Stop trying to reign over me. That's just what God has promised. It's been decreed and it's been fulfilled by the faithfulness of God. I mean, that's one of the promises he talks about. The next one is God sees those faithful to his word and will, those who are righteous, those who are following God, following Christ Jesus. Those are the ones he's talking about here. He hears them because their hearts have been purified by the blood of the lamb. And David tells the troublemakers to tremble in fear, revere God who is merciful but also just. Now, in this version of the Bible that I used, it said, be angry and do not sin. Well, there's other versions that kind of explain it better or have a, use a different word, and the word they use is tremble. They use the word tremble as in with fear of God, in reverent awe. 
They need to be angry about their sin, about their selfishness, about the things they pursued. And that's where they got this translation from, being, be angry and do not sin. Be upset about that because you shouldn't be treating God's anointed one that way or God that way. So tremble in fear and revere God who is merciful, but also a God who is just. Then there's another promise, stop sinning. Stop sinning and following your own plan. Follow God's promises. Meditate on God's righteousness. They know this. See, he's not talking to a bunch of irreligious people or people that are outside God's law. He's talking to Jews who know God's law. He's talking to these men who know and been temple worshiping for, de- for years. They know what's right. Stop sinning. God will re- forgive you. Stop sinning. And then be silent. Be still. Because that's how we hear conviction. It's hard to hear conviction when we're always doing the talking and we're always doing the, the worrying and the clamoring and the busyness. Silence gives us a chance to hear and to repent and to correct what we've been doing wrong. There's also another, the Hebrew word here could also mean wail or lament over your sins. Being still for God is the best way to hear his con- conviction and the best way to deal with your sin. And then David instructs them with another promise. Once they've been convicted of their sins, that they have tried to exalt themselves over David, offer the right sacrifices to God, which then would have been some sin offering of some sort. But God will forgive you if you offer with the right motive. But as David writes in Psalms 51, the sacrifice that pleases God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, one who has humbled themselves under the, the need for forgiveness of God. God will hear. God will forgive. Go read Psalms 51. You just see David pour out his heart over his sin, but he declares that God will forgive him. And then his final instruction to them is to trust God because his promises are true and they never fail. To stop seeking their own solutions and trust God's plan. They may not like that David's king. You may not like that Jesus is the only way to God, but trust it. Trust me, it works We talked about that last week. It's the best plan ever. And then David confronts some skeptics that are in the crowd, not just these ones that have exalted themselves over, but there's some skeptics out there. Oh, what good is going to come? Show us something good, will you? Give us some good news. We deserve some good news, don't we? That's kind of what they're saying. We need to see something good. David reminds them with a promise again that God's face shines blessings on them blessings of knowledge and blessings of provision and this passage let the light of your face shine on us lord is out of numbers chapter 6 verses 24 through 26 it is the benediction that the priest reads after temple worship and may you may have been in a church that used to recite that passage let your face shine upon us and and go with us lord this is the benediction but this is a reminder from david that god's promise to let his face light your life up with knowledge with provisions any discontentment that they have or with what they have, it should fade in the light of his glory and grace. See, God promises his called ones. He will, he, this is what he promises. He promises hearing for the faithful. He perform, provide, uh, easy for me to say. Promises forgiveness for the penitent. He promises faith for the humble. And he promises illumination in the dark. And just here in this, in this one passage... This one set of verses. 
God's promising those things. So pray from these and all the precious promises that are in Scripture. That's what David's encouraging us to do. Never forget God's blessings of grace. Do you ever think God broke a promise to you? Probably wouldn't admit it if you did. Remember the poem Footprints? And the person sees two sets and then they see one set and then they see two sets and they think God left them. And God says, no, I didn't leave you. I was carrying you. I was carrying you. Whether that's scripturally sound, I'm not sure, but the point is, is that we thought God promised to walk with us all the way, and he did. But sometimes he's carrying us. And, and most of the time when we think a promise has been broken, it's probably because we misunderstand what the promise is really saying, which is why you have to spend time in your word when you're looking for God's promises. You've got to know his promises to pray from his promises and that God has never failed to keep his promises. You've got to know that. And you can't do that without picking up his word and reading it. See, here's what Christ does for all of God's promises, and that's what we as Christians need to focus on. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, Paul tells us what God's promises mean to us through Christ and, and why we add amen to our prayers. Listen to this. For all the promises of God, all the promises of God, there's none left out, find their yes in Christ. That is why it is through Christ that we utter our amen to God for his glory. That's why we add amen to the end of our prayers. It's for his glory. And the word simply means truly. Truly, this is what we pray. Truly, this is what we believe. And it is for God's glory. What's the difference between an Old Testament prayer and a New Testament prayer? Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. They knew a Messiah was coming in the Old Testament when they prayed. In the New Testament, we now know he's here. Been here, died for us, and gone. And that difference brings sometimes God to ask us, why do you dishonor my son? Why do you chase after lies and worthless things for your problems? Worthless solutions. See, we need to remember that God's promise to love is promised to love us and care for us. We need to know we are set apart by God as children of God because of Christ. And we're set apart for his glory alone. And we need to recognize your faithlessness. You need to, we need to recognize our disbelief sometimes. Sometimes we just are crippled by our faithlessness, our disbelief, our failures. We fail to admit our sins. We kind of keep a long list of sins that we've just not confessed. We need to let the Holy Spirit convict us of all of our wretchedness. That's, that's healthy Christianity right there. Spending time daily before God saying, what have I done? What did I say? What did I think? God, show me that I may repent and find forgiveness in you. A lot of times we just want to whitewash forgiveness. We just want it to kind of be this big bushel basket of forgiveness. And we need to, we need to take them out individually. So we need to ask forgiveness and obey his word. We need to do the do's and eliminate the don'ts of God's word. And trust that God will reward you for that. And we need to stop being skeptical. <laughs> skeptical, distrusting, bitter about something, or frustrated with God's plans and timing. I mean, it's real easy. I've been there <laughs> to get frustrated with God's plans and God's timing because they're just not meeting my watch. They're just not making my calendar work right. 
We just got to trust him. Let his promises in Christ answer your prayers. And when you think God has forgotten you or when you think God is holding out on you, remember his promises because he's not. If you've been forgiven by the blood of the lamb, he is not held out on you at all. As the song says, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and see what God has done. And when you don't see change or answers you wish for, pray some more on the promises of God. Because it's, it's obviously you might be missing something. We need to just look to him more. Count on the promises. So David prays from his history, and he prays from the promises God made him. And that leads us in an effectual prayer from the persistence with these things, persistently doing this. And from that, we get joy. Oh, we all like some joy, right? Look at, uh, and we like contentment. It seems to be uh, something people pray on, but we need to pray from pure contentment. Look at the last two verses. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and new wine abound. I will both, both lie down and sleep in peace. I have lied down many times, but not slept. I will both lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, Lord, make me live in safety. Wow. Pray from pure contentment. You know, advertising agencies, that's what they thrive on is our discontentment, okay? And they're, they're designed to make you discontent with whatever they're advertising. But David declares that his heart overflows with joy. A contentment in peace. That's what joy really kind of is, a contentment in peace. He compares it to the best time of the year for them, which was harvest time. When all the food and the grain came in and the, and the grapes for the new wine and all the celebrations that went along with harvest time. I mean, we understand harvest time around here. It's when there's a lot of dust flying in all the fields and people are gathering corn and beans. And it's a, it's a good time. Money's being made in the long run. Harvest brings joy, but it's temporary, very temporary. It only lasts till the next planting season. And then it's, I hope it comes up. Well, David's joy is everlasting. It's everlasting because it comes from God, not temporary things. See, joy is that peaceful contentment, willing to accept well, hear this, because this is what David said. Willing to accept whatever God sends your way, whatever happens, without losing faith, with hope that God's working this out for the good. He promised that. Go back to the promises. Willing to accept whatever God brings without losing faith, without losing hope, without losing our love for our Savior and fellow man. And because of this joy, David sleeps the best sleep peaceful sleep, supernatural peace, not something you can conjure up and make for yourself, you know, supernatural peace guards his heart through physical, spiritual, and mental turmoil. I mean, we're not talking just, I can sleep because I'm so tired, I can't keep my eyes open. We, he sleeps no matter what, and when he lies down, he doesn't wrestle with these problems anymore, he goes to sleep. Oh, that's, that's wonderful sleep. And see, God is the only source that, of safety that David needs, and he's realized that. He's accepted that fact. He's accepted that truth. God is the only source of safety in David's life that he needs. He would love some others, I'm sure, but he rests securely in God alone, and that brings contented sleep 
no matter what happens. See, David's not sleeping on wishful thinking. He's not sleeping on happy thoughts. He's not sleeping on good vibrations either or dreams of tranquility. He sleeps in the comfort of knowing who holds his soul for eternity. I know who holds tomorrow and I know who holds my hand. That is the only pure contentment any soul will ever find is that kind of contentment, that kind of security. Remember the prayer, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. It's kind of a, not a great prayer for little kids. If I should die before I wake, ugh. But it is true for our own hearts. Every, every true believer should think through that. If I, if I die tonight, that's fine. I'm going right to the presence of God. Amen, hallelujah. I know it's hard to sleep that way and think that way, but that's what, that's what we've been encouraged right here by David to do. Philippians 4, 4 through 7 is a very familiar passage. Paul writes, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and petition, present your request to God. And this is the blessing. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. That prayer, that verse just, those verses just, the, the connection between joy and peace and prayer and contentment. The Lord is near. The Lord is near always. So you can rejoice always. Even when you don't feel like it. See, rejoicing is not giddiness and happiness and big smiles on your face. It's a, a contented peace. Do your prayers come from a posture of contentment? Are you joyfully comforted by the fact that you can pray to God? Hopefully you are. And when we, when we worry and we get anxious over something, prayer really is the only solution we have until God provides a solution. I mean, I'm not talking common sense things. I'm just talking when, when something grips us and we worry about it and we get anxious over it and we wonder, what the heck's going to happen, Lord? Prayer is the only thing you got. And it's the best thing you got because you're going right straight to the, the maker of the universe. So pray until you're contented. Then pray more until peace arrives. And then pray until you sense joy in your heart. Sometimes we, we pray microwave prayers. We just want a quick microwave prayer and it'll solve everything. Cooks the meat all the way through right there. We need crockpot prayers. We need prayers that sit and simmer sometimes. And God's going to put us that way. He's going to make us sometimes have to pray long and hard over some things. It's tough. But our fears, our anxieties, our frustrations, our conflicts, our insults, our inconveniences, etc., 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 are all meant to take away our joy and contentment in Christ. And God allows them so we'll go find our joy and contentment in him. Those happen because he wants us to, to dig deep and find peace and contentment and joy in our Savior. So prayer, serious, persistent prayer, on your knees, humble prayer is God's ordained solution to any problem that you'll ever face. Every time, all the time. There is no microwave prayers for God. If he answers quickly, just be thankful. But don't expect it all the time. 
When we don't pray, we're not contending Christ. We're, we're looking for solutions we can do. We're not resting in his. Our peace and joy will be waning when we don't pray. So pray from the faith that saved your soul. Find eternal contentment in Christ and pray from that position because prayer is a crucial walk of our faith. And base it, we need to base it on our past. We need to base it on the promises. And we need to base it on the pure contentment we have in Christ. See, divine security, which is what I used in the title of the sermon, divine security means we know our soul is secure in Christ and nothing here can change that. Nothing. God hears his children because we are his children and we can rest under his security and peace. So believer, remember your past. Remember the promises and the pure contentment will come to you and pray that way. Pray from that position. Trusting God all the way. Pray for someone this week to tell them about Jesus. Ask God to put someone in your path, give you a divine appointment, to tell someone about Jesus. And, and that's praying his promises because that's his mission he gave us. And, and trust God that he'll help you do that. Sometimes we worry about what we're going to say. Just say what you know. Tell them your story. No one can take that away from you. If you want to know how to become a full partner in our church membership, Come talk to me afterwards. Now, if you're here and you're not a believer in Christ, your prayers can't be based off of those three guarantees. Faith in Jesus' sacrifice will give you those guarantees, and that's where it starts. Faith believes with conviction and says in their heart, I trust you, Jesus, your death, burial, and resurrection for the salvation of my soul, the forgiveness of my sins, I need to be forgiven. I trust you, Jesus, that your death, burial, and resurrection covered that. You believe without reservation that Christ can do that for you. You repent now. You turn away from. You get rid of all the things that you were trusting in, all, of the, all the things that were taking away your contentment and your joy. Get rid of them and trust Jesus and Jesus alone. And you can have these three guarantees that of security that David talks about here. Let's pray. Father, you are a loving, faithful, gracious God. And you have called us who believe out of the darkness into your marvelous light. And you've given us guarantees about how we can pray and come to you with the, the, the circumstances of life. May we do that, Father, this week. May we find our faith solidly planted in our past, your promises, and your contentment. And that peace that passes understanding will guard our hearts, guard the faith of our hearts in your son, Jesus Christ. We ask that, Father, and we believe that. In your son's precious name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing about trusting and obeying, because that's the only way to be happy in Jesus is to trust and obey.